we're going to get into our encounter with God. We're continuing on with the book of Isaiah. Uh, We got into chapter 65 yesterday, looked at God's judgment versus restoration. Well, last week was very focused on God's judgment. This week, we came into restoration in, in chapter 65. Now, Today we're going to be in chapter 66, and the tail end of chapter 66 is really like restoration, restoration. Like, it's like, you know, it gives us this picture of the very, very end of time. It's very powerful, uh, very awesome stuff. Mm. But we're going to start with the first half of chapter 66, uh, which I think is it's really interesting. I have some things to say about this. It's a theme that runs uh, right throughout the Bible. Um, and we're just going to... Just talk about it, pick it up, and and discuss it. Okay, so, Renee, if you could read for me Isaiah chapter 66. Let's go hmm, verse 1 to 4. Verse 1 to 4. All right, here we go. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. But those who choose their own ways, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have their offerings accepted. When such people sacrifice a bull, it is no more acceptable than a human sacrifice. When they sacrifice a lamb, it is as though they sacrificed a dog. When they bring an offering of grain, they might as well offer uh, the blood of a pig. When they burn frankincense, it is as if they blessed an idol. I will send them great trouble, all the things they feared. For when I called, they did not answer. When I spoke, they did not listen. They deliberately sinned before my very eyes and chose to do what they knew I despised. Mm. Heavy words there. Strong language. Um, so we begin off like in Isaiah 66 and verse 1 with these powerful statements from God. You know, the earth is my footstool. I have complete control. This is something that he's been displaying for the last couple of chapters or, or you could say right throughout the book of Isaiah and then, you know, intermingling his, his mm-hmm. um, messianic prophecies talking about how, you know, Jesus would be the ultimate eventuation of his his power over earth, you know, the power to forgive sins, how he has control of everything, yet he gives us free choice, how he's ultimately loving, ultimately merciful, ultimately graceful. But then... In Isaiah, very often that's then followed by the verse, uh, like, you know, the back half of verse two and, ver- and then verse, you know, three and four, which is, um, in my Bible says, uh, he, uh, ooh, um, okay, yes, yes. You, yours had an extra sentence, I think. I'm like, I'm trying to find it. Uh, the pig's blood one? Yeah, the, that, that part. When they bring three. an offering of grain, they might as well offer the blood of a pig. <laughs> yeah, that, oh. that's in my Bible too. You said, yours said something about those whose sins are detestable to me. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, where is it? Blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. <laughs> um, I will send them great trouble for when I call. Okay, they deliberately sinned before my very eyes and chose mm. to do what they knew I despised. Mm, pat, like heavy stuff. And then that's followed by um, this 
call against uh, the, you know, these things. How he calls his sacrifices, you know, uh, terrible, essentially. He's like, those who kill the bull in my Bible, it says this, he's, is as if he slays a man. Uh, he sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. Essentially saying that the, the sacrifices are completely null and void yes. because of the state of the sinner. Now, what uh, the Isaiah is speaking about here, what God is speaking about here and Isaiah is, called, is, is recording down, is God's stance um, and view of hollow formalism. Um, Renee, as a as a uh, as a student of the Bible uh, and as a student of theology, I'm uh, you know hollow th- formalism. Can you give us a definition of that? <laughs> that what? <laughs> Are you playing me? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so essentially, like hollow formalism. It's, it's all G. It's all G. No. Am I supposed to know this? No, you, I think you would know what this is, but just Many hollow formalism is. It's like. You know, you could say it's scientific uh, literary term. What hollow formalism describes is essentially like taking the rituals of something uh, devoid of its meaning. So practicing its rituals devoid of its meaning, oh, basically yes. like f- formalism. Yeah. So it's like hollow formalism is like, so formalism in the sense that you are, you know, fully into the rituals, you're fully into uh, living out the, you know, te- checking off the different steps that you need to do to, to, be you know in this sense uh good in the eyes of god like it seems it's behavior focused yes um i i was i'm curious kind of off tangent why, why didn't you use the word uh, legalism because because i think there's a difference between the two okay so legalism exists uh basically in in any sense but it, whether it's for the law of God or against the law of God? This is this is my de- definition anyway. That, that legalism could be literally anything arbitrary that you lift up as like you have to do this to follow it. Okay. Whereas hollow formalism more refers to the acts of living out the symbols, living out like you know getting into things that, that don't need, that are devoid of the law, mm-hmm. like like or not devoid of the law, but here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like playing into any type of tradition without associating it to its meaning. Legalism is, it doesn't really get into the whole meaning side of it. It's more just like ascribing anything to being saved or lost. Gotcha. Whereas, yeah, hollow formalism is, yeah, taking the, the traditions of something, the, the, the orthodoxy of something, mm. and then Stripping it from its meaning, yet practicing it anyway. Mm, making it completely useless is, what, and that's what we see in this, ver- yeah. this verses, which is quite heavy. Like uh, this is interesting because I feel like people go different ways about this. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. I feel that it's quite interesting. You know, it's God Himself who institutes the sacrificial system in the Bible, right? And then, you know, uh, by the time we get down to Jesus, there's, like, this is a lot of people's view of the Bible is that, like, the Jews practice all these things, all these ceremonies, um, and, you know, by the time Jesus comes down, Jesus is kind of like a hippie. This is, this is their view, anyway. That Jesus is this hippie that's like, nah, man, it doesn't matter, man. We can just do what we like, man. Like, he's just, oh, th- these things don't matter. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that God instituted these sacrifices, and they are important. 
Like they're not they're not just like some random thing. There's like oh yeah, G- Jesus didn't get rid of sacrifices because they were stupid. Mm. Like Jesus didn't get rid of the ceremonial system because he thought it was dumb. Because it was like a lot of the ceremonial laws come from God Himself. Mm. Um, so yeah, it wasn't Jesus's place to go like oh. Yeah, these 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 are just dumb. You know hip, that that view, that picture, mm. hippie Jesus, just get getting rid of everything and, and making it all about feelings and, and emotions. No, the problem that had arisen within Israel is that is hollow formalism that they had taken those things given by God their culture given by God these sacrifices given by God to help them in their spiritual journey with him and they stripped it from its original meaning um, because of their actions essentially what's going on here is that uh, their, their sins as we read before they're detestable they practice them anyway but then they feel as though they can partake in you know the rest of uh Jewish culture, they can partake in the sacrifices and everything. Oh, it's all good. And they essentially live a double life. Mm. But what they're really not taking on board is that the purpose of these sacrifices um, is a symbol, you know, is a reminder to them to get away from sin. Yeah. But rather they're just, they're just living it out casually, calmly. Um, another good word, another good sim, uh, synonym for this situation is that they're living lukewarm, you could say. Yeah. They're, they're living by the, the traditions and whatnot, but not respecting any of the meaning of them. Um, but this is something that, yeah. It's not hippie Jesus who shows up and gets done and done away with the law. And it, and it was only him who, you know, the all Jewish people were like, oh, yeah, this was a good thing. Um, and then Jesus shows up and says, this is bad. Right throughout the Bible, uh, you know, in the Old Testament especially, it talks against this idea of hollow formalism and taking the, the traditions too far and out of, out of the meaning that they originally had and out of the purpose they originally have. We can see that. Let's read in the book of Amos, uh, one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament, Amos chapter 5. We're going to read verse 21 to 23. If you got that there for us, Renee? Mm-hmm. I hate all your show and pretense, the the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. So I see a couple of things there. Firstly, you know, this uh, hollow formalism idea doesn't just pertain to the sacrifices. It even mentions hymns there. Mm. Like it even mentions singing, which is something that is, is universally practiced by the mm-hmm. Christian church mm-hmm. and is promoted by the Bible to do by literally everyone. It's one of my favorite things to do at church. Um, and it, it says here that the practicing of, of singing hymns and worshiping God in this way, even that can be despised by God. And get that verse, that passage gets to the heart of the problem with hollow formalism, and that is hypocrisy. Mm. Practicing the things that God has commanded you to do mm-hmm. without the relationship. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, like, oh, uh, I did this thing every Friday. It's called Care Group. We do a part of our church. It's like a Friday night group. Get together, share a meal, study, sing songs and study the Bible. It's, it's powerful. Uh, and we've been going through the story of Elijah. Now, I can't remember what exactly this was related to, but I know that uh, one, the, the guy that we have, the care groups, the house that we have it at, the guy who lives in that house, his name's Andrew. And Andrew said in one of our Bible studies, the problem uh, with 
with, you know, formalism and the problem with, you know, being lukewarm, fence sitting, living on both sides, you know, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, is that you're using God rather than being used. Ooh. And I was like, man, that is powerful. Mm. You're using God rather than being used. That idea essentially describing that we can come to a place in our Christian journey where God is nothing more to us than just a tool to, I don't know, to gain advantage. To get what you want. Right? Because we use the things of the world. Yeah. You know, to, you know, we have uh, our jobs. Mm. We have, uh, yeah, we have all sorts of things. But even like, so that idea of having one foot in the world, one foot in the church is that, oh, you partake in worldly things that are not approved by God, that are negative to your relationship with God, that are negative mm. to your experience with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, oh, you use all those things to achieve some kind of goal, whether it's happiness, better standing amongst peers, whatever it may be. And then you use God for the same reason. You use God rather than being used by God. Powerful stuff. So it seems as though all throughout the Bible and relating to basically any orthodoxy, any practice of Christianity, um, even getting to prayers, you know, you read in some verses where God's like, my your prayers, I don't hear. They can just ultimately come out as hollow formalism. You're doing it not because of the reason it's, you know, you're doing something not for its intended purpose. You're using it with, with devoid of its original meaning because mm-hmm. all of these things exist to bring us to into a closer relationship with God. Yeah. And a closer relationship with God means stepping further away from our sins. Yeah, and it means a transformed life where we mm-hmm. allow him to come and change change our ways. And so with those behaviors and those those rituals that God was was calling the Israelites to do, it completely defeated the purpose when they w- would act in hypocrisy mm-hmm. and their hearts were far from God. Um so yeah, th- those verses that we just read were so powerful. In fact, I love in verse 24 where God says, I don't want to see, I don't want to listen to your music. I don't want to accept your burnt offerings. I hate your show and your pretense. I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living that just creates such a beautiful imagery and mm. a, such a beautiful picture of what God wants. Um, from us. 100%. I just want to share one more verse on this topic because it's Jesus talking. Let's go to Matthew chapter 23. Um, oh, this is a powerful chapter in the Bible and it precedes one of the, one of the more, I, I guess, hallmark chapters in the, in the, in the New Testament, I would say, the signs of the times in Matthew 24. But let's read Matthew 23, maybe verse 23 to 25. Yep. Okay. 23. To, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. What sorrows await you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of a cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Mm, powerful stuff from Jesus himself. Again, scathing rebuke. Yeah, heavy rebuke. Mm. And I want to point out the fact, like, let's use the last example he, he gives here. He's like, oh, you clean out the inside of a cup, but 
inside yourselves, you are dirty. You know, inside yourselves, you are unclean. What Jesus doesn't say is that, oh, cleaning out that cup is actually bad. And that's the problem. Mm. No, oh, oh, of course, we understand today um, that the, the ceremonial law of the Christian church uh, doesn't apply because we're Gentiles. Mm. Um, it doesn't apply because all of those symbols, all of those ceremonies pointed forward to Christ. Mm-hmm. Now Christ has come. You know, mm-hmm. we, the, the, also, you know, a lot of the health laws of Israel, for mm. example, that just existed to help them not die in the mm. ancient world. Um, they're not needed today. They're not needed to be practiced ceremonially because that's that's not the context that we live in. But the problem was never the laws themselves. Mm. The, the laws helped them. Yeah. The laws were good things. Um, the law set them free. The law set them free. The law helped them be uh, a distinguished people yeah. amongst the rest of the world. The law helped them. I love that. The law helped them stay clean. Exactly. I'm actually um, doing a bit of study on that part of my classes, and it's really like there's a lot of hygiene rules. There's yeah. a lot of, and these people didn't know, were not aware of these kind of things, like, mm. like coming out of slavery, and it was a beautiful thing where God was teaching them how to live a good and a healthy life. Mm, 100%. But the problem is their hearts. Mm-hmm. The problem is why. Why are you here? Why are you doing it? Are you just using me? Well, we'll talk more about this later. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's go. Okay, so we were talking about holy formulism, the the, the heart change that God wants from us to not just practice things, not just uh, commit to the orthodoxy of our religion, whether it be Christianity or Judaism for, for the people we read about in Isaiah 66, to not just practice it for the purpose of practicing and not just using God and using it for better standing, using it because you feel as though you have to, you know, you might impress your parents, you might impress you know, your friend circle in the church, whatever. <laughs> or, you know, often we do things like we, we, when we practice Christianity, but we don't actually let it transform us, we're really just lying to ourselves. Mm. And God hates that. I love that God, he, he, he offers to transform us into his image. And so he says, you know, you partake in this, let it remind you in this way of me and let it bring you closer mm. to me. And then when we practice those things, but we don't connect our hearts with him, he's like, what's the use then? That's completely against the mm. whole purpose of this. Um, and so don't lie to yourself by practicing Christianity. Actually allow God to transform your heart and your mind. Amen. And that's where, you know, we like, this is just has such a heavy allusion to Revelation 3, mm. like lukewarm church. Like, you know, I'd rather you be hot exactly. or cold. Yeah. Um, because if if we're hot, uh, if we're on fire for him, we're living a life that God has called us to. And if we're cold, well, then we can stand by someone that's warm and actually be warmed up. Come on. If we're lukewarm, if we're lukewarm, we, we can't do anything. Yeah. We just bring down other people. So wow. we are going to read a couple more verses. Let's start in verse 14 and maybe, yeah, let's read from verse 14 to 20. What chapter? Uh, Isaiah 66. Sorry about that, Isaiah. (laughs) Isaiah 66. Let's read 14 to... um, Actually, let's read 14 to 19. Can do. When you see these things, your heart will rejoice. You will flourish like the grass. Everyone will see the Lord's hand of blessing on his servants and his anger against his enemies. See, the Lord is coming with fire. His swift chariots roar like a whirlwind. He will bring punishment with the fury of his anger and the flaming fire of his hot rebuke. The Lord will punish the world by fire, by his sword, and he will judge the earth and many will be killed by him. 
That's verse 16 up to 19. Yes. Those who consecrate and purify themselves in a sacred garden with its idol in the center, feasting on pork and rats and other detestable meats, will come to a terrible end, says the Lord. I can see what they are doing and I know what they are thinking. So I will gather all nations and my people and peoples together and they will see my glory. I will perform a sign among them and I will send them those, send those who survive to be messengers to the nations of Tarshish and to the Libyans. And Lydians, who are famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece and to all the lands beyond the sea that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. Then there will be, then they will declare my glory to the nations. Mm, powerful. I, I love this passage because, you know, we're, we're really close to the end of Isaiah 66 mm. here. We're, we're, you know, the last verse of Isaiah 66 is verse 24 in verse 19. And I feel like this is the ultimate conclusion of what Isaiah has been getting a, across through God's judgment, through his restoration and through the work that Christ does. He's been talking about how that, that has an effect on our personal experience with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, you know, God, you know, Jesus, all these allusions to Christ comes to say, he comes to save us from our ultimate enemy, which is sin. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, but here is the next step. It, once Israel takes, you know, once Israel or, you know, if we apply it to us, us as people, we, we take upon God's restoration into our life. Mm. Once we come into a saving relationship with Jesus, and as we've just talked about, we let that actually transform us. Mm-hmm. We become, in my Bible, it says a sign uh, in verse Ooh. 19, a sign among them. Uh, mm. In the 20 million movement, uh, the lesson, it says a divine magnet. Um, but I feel like sign suffices in, in getting the point across. Mm. And it talks about how, uh, let's see, here some of the towns so it mentions Tarshish uh, Tarshish was essentially you know it's, a, it's the town that Jonah runs to mm-hmm. uh, Tarshish was in modern day Spain so in, when it comes to the known world it was like very it was it was like as far uh, as far west as you could go it was the biggest city the furthest west as they understood you know then it, it describes Javan you know one of the capital cities of Macedonia. Like, uh, it's got some other series he- city here, uh, Lud and Tubal. It basically gives us this idea that you as a people will become a sign to those around you through your transforming relationship with Christ. It's not that, and as we've talked about hollow formalism, it's not letting go of the things that, you know, the, the orthodoxy of our faith. For the Jews, it was these, this sacrificial system. It's not letting go of the sacrificial system that will save them. But it's practicing it in the context of heart transformation. And uh, yeah, I just want to tell a quick story because I've seen this so clearly in my life being that, you know, I uh, didn't grow up in the church, uh, was so blessed to to convert into Christianity, into, you know, I'm a, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist today. And I remember, you know, the first time hanging out with Seventh-day Adventists, I got invited to go to Grilled with them and because they would like shout me burgers. And we went to Grilled and uh, I'm sitting there and... You know, uh, I order my my big beef burger because uh, that's who I was at the time. I was like, yeah, big beef burger, let's go. And then uh, all these Seventh-day Adventists sitting around me, they're like, oh, you know, we all got like veggie burgers. Another time too, like 
the veggie burgers are really bad. They've come a long way. I'm a vegan now. You know, vegetarian food has come a long way. It's so good. Um, but at the time, like, the veggie burgers are grilled. Like, the patties that they use were so trash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and, they're, you know, they're sitting there eating their veggie burgers. I'm sitting there with my, my big beef burger and my Coke. And they're eating their veggie burgers and drinking water. And I remember, like, I was like, that's so weird. Like, and I was like, what, are you guys all vegetarians? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, we're all vegetarians. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's... That's interesting. You know, you have that experience like as a vegetarian, but this comes to a lot of Christian practices where by practicing it out in the open, you know, sometimes people can feel judged. Sometimes people see it as weird, but I'm sitting there surrounded by all these vegetarians. They're eating their gross veggie burgers, but because of the transformation that had gone on in them, because they were, they were practicing this orthodoxy that they believed in. They were like, okay, I want to be vegetarian. I want to eat good food uh, because I want to, you know, my body to be a temple for the Lord. But because they were practicing it in the context of having a transforming relationship with Jesus, and they were just displaying such love for me, such care for me, such friendship for me, I saw their orthodoxy as endearing. I saw it as charming. I saw it as something that I wanted in my life. And we see this today. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. What's our question of the day there, Lawson? Our question of the day is, this is a pretty heavy one. It's, can mentally disabled people be saved? Yes. End the show. Oh, we've got to fill up the next three minutes, dude. <laughs> okay, I was kind of wondering, what kind of person actually asks a question like this? You know, um, let me think about this. Can uh, physically disabled people be saved? If I am born without a leg, can I be saved? Of course I can be saved. Yeah. Uh, can mentally ill people be saved? Of course mentally ill people can be saved. There are a number of people in the Bible who will be saved who were severely mentally ill. Uh, let me think. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes to mind. He was a psychopath. Uh, Manasseh comes to mind. He was also a psychopath. Path. Uh, Thomas was just terribly depressed. I mean, mm. that guy suffered from terrible depression. And look what he did for God. You know, we could go on and on and on down through the list. And so, really, what we're looking at here is the issue of accountability. Mm. When does a person reach the age of accountability where they are responsible for between them and them and God for their salvation? And the Bible doesn't give a definition as to when a person reaches that age. Mm. Now, with a mentally ill person, you know, they will talk about, you know, this person has the mental capacity of a three-year-old or a seven-year-old or a fourteen-year-old or whatever it might be. You know, they're, they're their, uh, their um, mental development has been arrested at some particular point in that whole process. Mm. Even still, their mental capacity, while it might be the mental capacity of a three-year-old, is very different from a three-year-old. But let me ask you this question. Can your three-year-old love Jesus? Yeah. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says unless you are as little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Oof. There you go. So there you go. You need to be. You need to have a, a, a mental. Uh, be born with a mental disability to get into heaven. So that you still have the the, the mental. Oh, <laughs> that's a big step. No, come that is on, a big come step. On, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that that simple faith, that childlike faith, is a faith that God can uh, mm. that can He can use and He can bless and He can honor and these people be saved. Um, let me go to Psalms chapter eighty-seven. Psalms 87. This is a very revealing passage right here. Psalms 87. And we're going to look in verse 6. 
87 verse 6, the Bible says, you know what, I wrote it down wrong. I think I've got it on my computer. Let me see if I've got it on my computer. The Lord shall count when he writes up the people. In other words, he's writing up the book of life. Mm-hmm. That this man was born here. In other words, when God judges people, one of the key things that God does is he takes into account the circumstances under which they were born. In other words, mm-hmm. the country that they were born in or the mental capacity that they were born with. Mm-hmm. God is not in the business of you know, sitting up in heaven like, who can I keep out of heaven? Oh, you know, that person doesn't have the mental capacity to accept me as their savior. So they're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, out they go. Phew, that's a few less there. No, God is not like that. God, Jesus gave his life for our salvation. Yeah. He's trying to save as many people as he possibly can. And he is working as hard as he can to get absolutely every single last person into heaven. And mentally handicapped people are going to be amongst that group of people who are saved. For being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.